Well, folks, it's great to be back with you again. Uh, I mentioned last week uh, of how the connections, so many connections over the years that I've had with the church here and that the university's had with the church. And, uh, of course, then after the service was over, two or three people came up and talked to me that I knew that I didn't even know were members here. And then uh, Phil came in. Phil, you back there somewhere? Phil Hargrove, there he is back there at the back. And, um, a mentor of mine when I was in the pastor had always had time to help this guy that didn't know what he was doing to, uh, to help me out. And so uh, a lot of connections here. Another connection, my wife is somewhere in the air between Atlanta and Salt Lake City uh, because she is there on a mission trip. That uh, a partnership with our association, I think it is, the, uh, with that area. I'm not sure that uh, it's, it includes Utah and Nevada out there. But that partnership was orchestrated and initiated by one of your former members that grew up in this church, Travis Kearns. Uh, also, along with Josh, a former student of mine. And so uh, there's another connection. The connections just, uh, just keep coming. And uh, I'm certainly thankful for all of you folks. Now, can everybody hear me? Somebody told me last week, they, raised, they said that came back and said they couldn't hear me real well. And I told them, I don't mind a bit in the world you raising your hand and saying, I can't hear you. Uh, in fact, I had promised them I would move this a little bit more directly in front of me. But if you can't hear me, you just wave your hand and say, I can't hear. Now, my wife says, I'm the one that can't hear. Um, I think I hear fine, but I, I, I was reading something the other day, and I made the mistake of telling her what I w had read, and that was something like men speak on the average of 6,000 words a day, and that women speak about 12,000 a day. And she said, that's because we have to repeat everything we said. <laughs> said okay, I mean, what can you say? Uh, so... Uh, yes, ma'am. That's 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 about common parlance for me. Uh, I've learned that uh, covers a multitude of sins. Uh, just uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But it is it is great to be here with you all again, and to uh, pick up. As I said, I'm trying to accommodate Pastor Josh and what he was wanting me to do. But uh, uh, so we last week looked a little bit at uh, at what worldviews are. And if you remember last week, I asked this question. What actually is Christianity? And if you ask various Christians, they're going to give you different answers to that. You know, some of them are going to say, well, it's the way of salvation. Uh, some people are going to say it's, um, it's the way to lead a moral, ethical life. You know, the Ten Commandments are, are there to help us live by. Uh, there are some that will say, you know, it's the true religion. Uh, and remember, there were some that say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I hope we don't go there anymore. Uh, after what we talked about last week. But uh, all of those things are really true, but they really miss the main point of what Christianity is. Christianity certainly is the true religion. Christianity is the way of salvation. But more than that, it is a way of seeing all of life and all of reality. Okay? It's... It, it's, and I, I really can, uh, uh, no, that's what I said the other day, last week, it's a worldview. It, it is a way of looking at, at, at uh, reality and understanding it. Now, we're going to look at the Bible. Y'all realize we didn't do that last week. We, we talked about worldviews and how this was going to channel in. So I'm actually going to use the Bible first and foremost here, first of all, 
to demonstrate what I said was true. That Christianity is much more than having Jesus as Savior. As vital as that is, it's much more than that. Because the first verse in the Bible is not God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's not the first verse. The first verse is in the beginning, God. <laughs> okay, There is a worldview that is being set forth in Genesis 1 through 3 without which the statements about Jesus would not actually make any sense. We have to understand the redemptive work of Christ in the context of the biblical worldview that is laid out for us in Genesis 1 through 3. So salvation in Christ has no meaning if we don't understand what sin is and we don't understand who God is. We don't understand God's right to judge. On and on we could go. Now, every worldview, and remember I said last week, everybody's got a worldview, okay? They have a way in which they actually understand and interpret reality. We gave an, an illustration of the same, very same people that were involved in a, a plane crash, but all three of them interpreted what had happened to them in a different way and how they ought to respond to it in a different And the reason was all of them have three, had three different Worldviews. So every worldview has some fundamental questions that it gives an answer to, and Christianity does as well. For instance, every worldview, every person has to have a belief on this question. Does God exist? That's at the heart of a worldview. Folks, there are some people that do not believe God exists. Their worldview is fundamentally different than yours and mine. And the answers that they therefore give to the other questions that are central to a worldview are different than what you give and what I give. Does God exist? Every worldview has to answer this question. Where did we come from? How did we get here? Well, folks, if you don't believe in God, then you certainly can't believe that you got here by the creation of God because there's not one in that person's worldview. Okay? Those two those two questions are inextricably interwoven with one another. The answer that you give to one of these worldview questions is going to shape and condition the answer that you give to the other. Every worldview is going to have to answer this question. What's our problem? What's wrong with the world? Folks, everybody knows something is wrong with the world we live in. What is it? Well... If you believe in God, you're probably going to answer and say, it's probably got something to do how we messed up with God. Yeah. But if a person doesn't believe in God, they can't give that kind of an answer. They're going to have to give some other kind of an answer. What's wrong with the world that we live in? And there's a sister question to that one. How do we fix what's wrong with it? You see, how we fix it, the prescription is going to have a lot to do with the diagnosis. If we diagnose the problems in the world wrong, we're going to have the wrong prescription. Folks, you know what's wrong with our country today? We've got the wrong prescription because we hadn't understood the right problem. The problem's a sin problem, okay? But every worldview has got to answer that question. Uh, 
Every worldview's got to answer this question. How do you determine what's right and what's wrong? What makes what is right, right, and wrong, wrong? Well, if you don't believe in God, you certainly can't say, well, it's what God says is right and what he says is wrong is wrong. Well, if you don't believe in God, that certainly can't be your answer. Every worldview has got to answer that question. And then every worldview's got to answer the question, what's the end result of all of this? Where's everything going to end up? What's going to happen to us in the end? Folks, every worldview has to answer those kinds of questions, and every person has a worldview. Now, they may still be working on some of those answers, okay? But every person has got a worldview. Now, you remember the spider web last week? Y'all remember the spider web? We said our belief system, every person's belief system is like a spider web. We've got, we've got beliefs that are at the very core of that web of belief. If you affect one of those, it's going to affect just about everything else a person believes. Now, if it's a, a view, like I said, you know, I, I'm confused about who won the 1997 World Series. If I'm wrong about that, that really doesn't fundamentally affect my worldview. I just have to make a little correction on that out here on the periphery. But if I change my mind on one of these major issues near the center, that's those questions that I just presented to you, if I change my view on one of those, everything in that web is going to change. Okay? Those are the fundamental, uh, fundamental questions. Now, let me give you an example. And, and as we go through this evening, I will, I'll stop several times and say, now let me illustrate what I'm talking about here. If people with a different worldview... A good friend of mine, a former pastor, uh, in fact, in this association, uh, was a friend of mine. His name was Larry Mayfield. Uh, pastor Larry passed away, you know, six weeks or so ago. But uh, on uh, his wife's website, such a sweet, sweet lady, uh, Happy Mayfield, and she's happy. And, and she posted, Larry's not going to live much longer. There's music playing in our house, and we are joyful because we are going to be rejoined together one day. Man. Folks, the same day I looked on a uh, social media post of a man who was from, actually from Greenville. He was a, an attorney, and he had gone off to wa the Washington, D.C. area, Made a big name for himself, was a well-known, I'm not sure if he was in government or a or, or corporate attorney or whatever else, but I'd seen him post several things on his site uh, through the years, and I knew he didn't believe like I believed. And he had cancer, and he passed away at about the same time Pastor Mayfield did. And his wife posted on there, now please keep in mind, Happy Mayfield, there's music in our house. We're going to be joined together again. This lady posted, my husband has died. He is no more. Folks, you know why they believe? Because that's a different worldview. That's a different understanding of reality, okay? Now, that didn't mean he didn't exist anywhere. That means in his worldview, that's what he thought was going to happen. But what my point is, that's two worldviews in collision with one another. What a person believed about God, he would, have been in, he would have been completely inconsistent to have believed in God and believed that God created him 
and then believed that when he died, he was existing no more. Okay? His belief was very consistent with the rest of his worldview that he held. His worldview just happened to be wrong. It happened to be different than what the scripture says. Now, I, I want to before I, I, I promise you we're going to look at the scriptures, folks. I promise. Y'all still with me? I hope you brought your Bible. We're going to look at it this time. Okay? But I want to make a, I made an analogy last time of a, of a, a spider web. I made an analogy, remember, those dot-to-dots. You know, a lot of people don't connect. They have beliefs that aren't connected with their other beliefs, and therefore they're inconsistent. Let me, let me see if I can give you another analogy that will help out. Can you imagine having one of these jigsaw puzzles? Anybody here work those? I don't. Okay. I, I don't. Okay. You, you can open the box and dump all those pieces on the table. Now, folks, if you fit them together, if they work together, what you end up is with some kind of a coherent scheme in front of you. You get the pieces together. But now I want you to assume, so, well, now that's the way your worldview is. Those little pieces are all these different beliefs that you've got. And we are constantly trying to fit them together to make a consistent, coherent set of beliefs. All right? That's what we're always doing. Okay? That's, we, we just do it by nature as human beings. But now, notice what will happen. If while you weren't looking, somebody took 30 of those pieces out and replaced them with 30 pieces of another puzzle. Besides you being extremely angry later on, that's not my point, okay? My point is you would not be able to take those inconsistent pieces and fit them together into a coherent picture because some of those pieces don't fit. But friends, listen, that's what some Christians are doing in their worldview. They, they have pieces that are not truly biblical. They have some beliefs that they've picked up somewhere else and they're trying to fit them into the biblical worldview, and they do not fit. And they end up with inconsistencies and incoherences. And that's why it's vital that we, that we take what the Scripture says about the worldview. Failing to connect the dots. That's sort of what I was saying last time. Uh, failing to connect the dots. Uh, failing to see how this belief connects with this one. And how if I believe this, it's going to mean I need to believe this over here as well. And so thinking biblically about worldview is something that all of us need to be consistently doing and asking ourselves, am I being biblical at this point? Okay. Now, as mentioned to Brother Phil coming in, this church has a tremendous history of pastors who preached the word and instilled a biblical worldview in their people. Now, that doesn't mean we've all got it perfect, but I'm just saying I am very thankful that that is the case. Now, folks, what I want to point out here and then to jump to in the Scriptures is this. In the Bible, God has given us the authoritative interpretation of reality. God has given to us an answer to every one of those questions that I raised a few moments ago that are central to a worldview. The key there is two words, God and authoritative. God has given us the authoritative interpretation 
on these questions of reality. Now, notice as you read through the Scriptures, God never asks us what we think. Okay? That'll put us in our place pretty quickly. And particularly when he's talking about these fundamental questions. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, y'all are studying. Folks, God did not have Moses come up on the mountain and enter into a dialogue with him where God says, I'll tell you what, I'll throw out a, good, a few good ideas, you throw out some, and you can sort of refuse two of mine, and I'll refuse two of yours, and we'll play let's make a deal. God has authoritatively interpreted reality for us. Okay? God has spoken that settles it. He has given us. Now, folks, when you get to the, uh, the, the world we live in does not like that. They don't want to be told this is what reality is. We want to do things that way. You know, as you work on through the Old Testament, what you're going to see many times is those Old Testament prophets mocked these idols that people made with their hands. You know, they would carve something out of wood and so many times the, the, uh, the prophets would point out, these cannot speak. They can't speak. But you know what? That's exactly what the people wanted. They wanted a God that would not speak. They wanted a God where they could actually worship something because it's in our nature as human beings to worship. But they didn't want to worship a God who taught and who interpreted reality for them and said, these are the moral boundaries and I'm going to judge you if you overstep those boundaries. Folks, people in our modern day do not want to hear that. They're wanting the same kinds of gods that were made out of those idols, a God who cannot speak. Friends, God has spoken, and he has interpreted reality for us. He has answered these questions that we are looking at. Now, I can't tell you, folks, we're going to get in the Bible. We're going to, but, but, but we're laying a foundation, I, I promise you. How many of you remember, maybe when you were in school, reading that story about um, five or six blind people and they were allowed to touch an elephant. Anybody remember that story? And all of them touched different parts of the elephant, okay, and therefore they described the elephant differently. You know, one of them touched his tail and said, oh, I think it's a snake, you know. Another one touched his big old side and said, you know, man, it, it feels like a real heavy rug, you know. Somebody else touched his, his leg and said, man, it feels like a, a pillar that holds a building up. The point of the story was supposed to be this. Here's the point the person who wrote the story was making. <clears throat> they were making the story that, that, that God was like that elephant and that we as humans are sort of blind and we Christians sort of understand God one way and, and Hindus sort of understand him another way because they've experienced it and, and Muslims another way and animists and all that another way, but we're all experiencing the same God, but we're blind and don't know it. Now, there are so many things wrong with that analogy, I don't know where to start. <laughs> but, but I do want to point out a couple of them. First of all, they were trying to make all religions feel good. Well, if you'll notice what happens in the story, they just told every religion you're wrong. You know, 
One of them said it's a snake. Well, it wasn't a snake. You're wrong. One of them said it felt like a rook. Well, it wasn't a rook. Well, if that story is a good analogy, all religions are wrong. That's, well, I'll overlook that one, though. That's not even the worst problem. Okay. Folks, the worst problem is this. <clears throat> that illustration fails to make the point that God has actually spoken and told us who he was. In other words, if you want to lose the analogy, the elephant is sitting now shouting, I'm an elephant, I'm an elephant, I'm an elephant. And if you're blind, here you are. Folks, we are blind. We would not have known God, but we did not come to our understanding of God by feeling around in the dark. We got our understanding of God by opening the Word of God, which He revealed Himself to us and spoke authoritatively about who He is, who we are, what the world's like, and how we're supposed to relate to it. God has spoken. Now, folks, our secular world does not have the concept of God for the most part that we do, if they believe in God at all. Now, I, I told you a little bit about growing up in the Greenville area. When, folks, I don't know if I said you last week. When I was growing up, I knew of two kinds of people. They were Christians, and they were people that knew they were supposed to be Christians. That was it, you know. All this kind of stuff of people who didn't believe in God or they were some other. We all basically had the same worldview. Some of us who were just trying to live up to it and some others trying to get around to it. You know, uh, We don't live in that kind of a society today. That's why the late uh, theologian J.I. Packer said, he, he said, if I had 30 minutes to share the gospel with a secular-minded person today, he said, if I had 30 minutes... I would spend the first 20 minutes explaining to him the character and nature of God. Folks, if we don't understand that, the gospel's not going to mean anything. And I think Dr. Packer was exactly right. Now, the moment you have all been waiting for. Genesis 1, 1. You know what it says. It says, in the beginning, God. Now, folks, I teach philosophy. You know, we raise all kinds of philosophical questions all the time. Questions at the heart of philosophy is, does God exist? Can you give me some kind of an argument that God exists? The fact is, yes, I can, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm going to do exactly here what God did, and that's just tell you to begin with, I'm here. There is no argument in the existence in the scripture that proves the existence of God. He doesn't even try to. The Hebrew people understood there's no way to even understand the world if there's not a God. It never crossed their minds that there might not be a God. That was central and fundamental to them. And then it says, in the beginning, God created. Now, that, that word created in the original language is very interesting because uh, it does mean to create. But, you know, just like in English, there are different words. For, I mean, we can say the person created this, the person made that. It would mean the same thing. The, the thing is, this word that is used for create is only used of God. Only God is the subject of this word. It's bara. Only God baras. <laughs> only God creates. See, there are people, for instance, that you could say, who made this table? Well, we'd say, well, there are people that constructed it. I was going to ask who constructed it. Who actually made it? 
well, that's, where'd the material come from? You know, I, I can go home and build a table. They said, well, who made the table? They said, well, I did. They said, well, did you make the wood? Well, no, I didn't make the wood. Well, then you didn't make the table then, okay? You just constructed it out of something that was already there. Friends, God did not construct the universe out of something that was already here. He wasn't having to deal with something that was already there and him just have to deal with it the best that he could. Okay? He actually created, the Latin term is ex nihilo. He created out of nothing. He spoke into existence and the world was here. So he supernaturally, folks, the, the world in the biblical worldview is we were supernaturally created by God himself. That's foundational to the Christian worldview. Now, let me again, let me show you again how this works, how worldview is so important. If I'm talking to somebody about the resurrection of Jesus, say it's Easter, and it's a secular-minded person. Now, that person says, well, I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I say, well, why would you not believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Well, their view would be because people that are dead can't come back to life. Well, folks, they don't have a resurrection belief problem. They've got a worldview problem. Okay? Their worldview's wrong. If they had the right worldview that starts with God created the heavens and the earth, then a resurrection of Jesus is not a problem. Everybody with me? The problem is they got the worldview wrong. So you can argue with them about the resurrection all you want to. But if somebody doesn't believe in God and that God created the universe, they're not going to believe in a resurrection, and they shouldn't. That'd be the most inconsistent thing for them to believe, that there's no God, but somebody was raised from the dead. Folks, if there's no God, nobody could be raised from the dead. Their problem isn't with the resurrection. Their problem is they don't have a biblical worldview. Okay? If a person believes... Genesis 1, 1. There is no problem with believing Jesus was raised from the dead. There is no problem with believing that Jesus walked on water. There's no problem with believing that Jesus was born of a virgin. Okay? It, once we understand who God is, the rest of it falls in place. But the reason people don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus is they don't have a biblical worldview. And if they have a biblical worldview, they certainly ought to believe in the resurrection of Jesus because the same God that created the universe out of nothing is the same God that raised him from the dead. Doesn't seem to be a problem there. Well, let's move a little bit further in the scriptures. I can't deal with all this, by the way. I'm trying to tie a worldview together. Look at chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. What does it talk about was made there? Yeah, the, the moon, the stars. Folks, let, let, me, let me point out here, again, inconsistencies in some people's worldview where they miss Genesis 1. Folks, the sun and the moon and the stars are not powers that control human destiny. They were created by the God who controls human destiny. But you know what? Some people get up every morning and read their horoscope because they somehow believe with an unbiblical pagan worldview, and that's what it is, that somehow 
The position of the stars determines your destiny. Friends, the biblical view is that God created the moon and the sun and the stars, and he controls destiny, not these things. That's another example of unbiblical, non-Christian worldview. Now, I want to get right here to the heart of what I'm wanting to say today. I'm running out of time here. I have to make it quick. Y'all don't tell Josh how long we stay. Yeah, don't, don't tell him. Uh, folks, human beings are not animals. Human beings are not animals. Uh, that's the problem with a lot of modern thinking today, and that's why we're in the mess that we're in in a lot of ways. There are three ways in these in this early passages, three ways that God distinguishes us from animals. Okay, I'm going to call attention to two of them quickly, and I want to camp out a little bit on a third. In Genesis 1.28, mankind was given dominion. Folks, animals were not. Human beings were given. God was saying human beings are not the same as animals. In Genesis 2.7, God did something with a human being in Adam that he didn't do to any animal. He breathed his ruach, his spirit into him, and he became a living nephesh, a living being. He never did that to any animal because human beings are different. But the main thing I want you to see is back in Genesis 1.27, it says that he created them in the image of God. Human beings are created in the image of God. That means in some ways God made us like Him. In some ways. We're not God. But in some ways we are like God. Folks, we're able to reason. We're able to plan. You know, animals don't do that. We're able to transcend time in our minds. We can actually think about last week. We can think about last year. You know, animals live in the moment. Human beings, being in the image of God, can transcend time and look to the future and actually plan. Okay? Imagine. Set goals. You know, uh, we as human beings are in the image of God. We are moral creatures. We think in terms of morality. Morally. Folks, animals don't do that. You know? I, I used to have bulldogs. I one time had two. And I knew better than to go out in the backyard and throw one bone out there, okay? You know what would happen? They're going to fight. And one of them's going to chew the other one's ear off. And you know what? When he does, his conscience is not going to bother him one iota because dogs do not think in moral categories. Human beings think in moral categories. That's why we are held accountable morally before God and animals are not. Okay, uh, we're not animals. Folks, when he says here that he created them in the image of God, male and female, that means the image of God is equally in both genders. One is not more godlike than the other. Okay, 
He created both of them. He said it's not, and then he said, it's not good. I, I love this. I, I wish more of the English translations brought this out better. He, he sees Adam, God says, and I'm going to make a helper, this lot of translation that's fit for him. You know, um, folks, the word there is not that she is somehow inferior to man. That, that, that's not what the word means. It means they are different but equal. Folks, I hope this doesn't come as news to you. It does in many people in our society. It would be news to them. They would even disagree with it. And that's this. Men and women are different. Is that profound or what? Okay. Well, you can't get our society to understand that because they have jettisoned the biblical worldview. Okay. And now they can't distinguish a man from a woman. And the reason is they've given up on the biblical worldview. Okay? The Bible is very clear on this. In fact, that Hebrew word, when it's, it, it literally means this. And I haven't seen a translation that actually brings it out. He says he made Eve like opposite Adam. Like, that sounds like a contradiction. Are they alike or are they opposite? Well, they're actually both. She is like him in that she's a human being. She wasn't a porcupine, okay? I'm going to make one who is like you, but he is op she is opposite you. You're male, she's female, but you're both human. She is like you, and she is... One of the great Puritan commentators said it this way. He said, God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, so he made woman out of the rib, out of the side of Adam, not out of his head to rule over him, not over his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected by him, from near his heart to be loved by him. That's the biblical view. We need to get back to it. Now, folks... That image that God has put in us and put in Adam, without question, it has been marred and it has been distorted by sin. No question about it. Folks, listen to what Jesus said. This would have never been said back in Genesis 1. God saw it. Everything was good. Listen to what Jesus says. Mark 7. For from within the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from the heart that defile a person. Folks, what, you know what that tells us? That we are vastly different from the nature when which, of which Adam was created. The theological word is we are now born depraved. Jesus would have never made that statement back to Adam before he fell. That, that wasn't true of the human heart. Uh, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Folks, we are in the image of God and that image has been marred, but it was not destroyed. It is still there. In fact, if you look at Genesis 9, 6, now the fall comes in Genesis 3. This is six chapters later. He says, whoever sheds a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And here's why. Because man's made in the image of God. When a person takes the life of another person, 
mistreats another person or whatever else, they have killed an image bearer of God. Human beings have dignity and worth and value. And so you know what God's doing in salvation, among other ways of saying it? He's restoring that image that was marred. In fact, Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 29, that whom did God predestinate? He predestinated them, listen, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That image that we were created in was not lost, but it was marred, it was, destroyed, it was, it was uh, affected negatively, okay? And in Christ, God is restoring that image back to what it was and even something greater. Now, folks, what are the implications? I'll deal with this. I won't be able to deal with everything, but I'll deal with this. What's the, if, we're, if we're created in the image of God, okay, so what? What's that mean? Where does the world get this wrong? Because we are created in the image of God, we belong to God in a unique way. A unique way. We, are, we belong to him in a way that... No, now, God owns everything. The cattle on a thousand hills. But we are his in a unique way. It's very interesting. In Mark chapter 12, you know, the Pharisees were always wanting to get an argument started with Jesus. And so they had another idea. They said, well, that, that, this may help us get him killed because we'll ask him this question. It can get him in trouble either way. So should we pay our taxes to Caesar or not? Oh, that was a loaded question. <laughs> because if he said no, they'd say, well, you're in a lot of trouble with the Roman government here now. You're encouraging people not to pay their taxes. You know, but if you say yes, then you seem to be giving them priority over God. Everything belongs to him. So notice a lot of people jump straight to what Jesus said. But the first thing before he ever made a comment on it, he said, bring me a coin. Well, buddy, just answer the question. I mean, do you pay? Just bring me a coin. So I brought him a coin. He said, see that? Listen, folks, whose image? You catch that word? Whose image is on that? I said, well, it's Caesar's. He said, well, then give it to Caesar. And give yourself to God. Because if the person's image is stamped on you, you belong to him. The coin's got Caesar's stamp on it. It's got his image on it. Give it to him. Whose image is stamped on you was Jesus' point. You give yourself to God because you are in the image of God. He has stamped his image on you. So I'm not concerned, Jesus says, about what you give to Caesar as far as money goes. I'm concerned, Jesus is saying, about who you give yourself to. You belong to God. His image is stamped on you. Well, this image of God that is stamped on us is what explains why human beings have dignity and worth and value. Why is a human being more valuable than an animal? Here's why. Because God said so. And because God stamped his image on human beings. Folks, every single person in this world is worth more than every one of those stars in heaven. One human being. An image bearer of God. Every human being, therefore, is to be treated with dignity and respect. 
And if we don't, then we are standing in opposition to the very image of God in that person. That means people of every race has dignity and worth and value. That means the elderly. That means the mentally challenged. The unborn deserve the same protection as every other human being because they are made in the very image of God. Folks, Christianity actually extols human beings. It actually extols. See, humanism, what humanism wants to do is says, look, folks, you've got sort of, if you've got a God, he's up here, we're here, animals here, and rocks and all here. The only way we can really get to the top is get rid of God, and then we'll be at the top. Folks, the problem is it doesn't work that way. If you get rid of God, everything falls to the bottom. You can't distinguish any longer is a person any more valuable than an animal? Is an animal any more valuable than a rock? It's impossible to do that. Okay? Because what gives value is the God who created it. And if God did not create us, and if all we are are accidents of nature, and atoms that just happen to come together in some evolutionary... Pro Folks, if that's all we are, we don't have any human dignity. We're accidents of nature. Okay. I was in graduate school at the University of South Carolina. I was in a philosophy seminar. And um, those of you been to graduate school, they usually do those seminars. You go meet once a week. It's, you know, three hours. You do it once a week, so you get pretty tired in there. <laughs> and a lot happens in three hours. But in, in the very same class, I had a professor early in that day period. He sort of began waxing eloquent on the value of human beings and how great human beings are. You know, the dignity and what. I thought, man, that's great. You know, he had to understand. You know, the Bible says we're created in the image of God. The, the Psalm says he created us a little lower than God himself. Those human beings have dignity and value and worth. And I thought, man, this guy seems to be onto something here. Yeah. So it was about two hours later, he got to talking about how, you know, human beings, you know, simply by nature evolved through some kind of an evolutionary process and there were accidents of nature. And I thought, you know, I can't let that go. And so I raised my hand. I said, Dr. Tate, I said, um, now, a few minutes ago, you were talking about the dignity and worth. A few, oh, and he started in again. Oh, yeah. He, and he, I said, well. And then when he got through, I said, yeah, that was my point. But then you said that we are just, there's no God. We're just accidents of nature. We just happen to evolve different than somebody else did. Then my question is, where does our dignity actually come from that you believe we have? I thought he was going to chew me up and spit me out. Folks, he was stunned. And he stared at me for about 15 seconds. And he said, you know what? He said, you just ruined my whole day. And I said, Dr. Tate, if I believed what you did and somebody pointed out to me what I just pointed out to you, it would not have ruined my whole day. It would have ruined my whole life. 
because there is no grounds of dignity or worth or value in your worldview that denies the existence of God. We have dignity and worth and value, Dr. Tate, and you know it. The problem is, in your worldview, you can't explain how we have it. And he seemed to have understood that. Well, folks, there's one other thing I'll touch on quickly, uh, and about have to. He created them male and female. Folks, there are two genders. And the biblical worldview is that gender is inextricably tied to biology. Those are not separate. Okay. Folks, when when a person goes to a therapist, and that therapist says something like this, uh, listen, don't you let anybody judge you about who you are. You decide who you are. Okay. Uh, You define yourself. Let me tell you what they've done. They have just rejected the biblical worldview because the biblical worldview does not say to us, you define who you are. It says God has defined who we are. And we're not supposed to try to, dis- try to make and determine who we are. We're supposed to discover who we are in God. That's the biblical worldview. And so this person is essentially saying, here's my worldview. There's not really a God. You're the center of your own reality. And you make yourself to be who you want to be or who you think you are. Folks, now listen, I'll just be honest with you. I am not surprised when a non-Christian is in search of their true sexual identity. I'm not surprised at that. But I am shocked that a person claims to have a Christian biblical worldview and makes a statement like this therapist would say. You determine who you are. You find out what you are. Folks, now also hear me well. There are people who are struggling with sexual identity. Sin affects different ones of us different ways. And we are to have compassion on people that are struggling. We are to have compassion on people. But listen, the first step of compassion is telling somebody the truth. That's the first step of compassion. Telling somebody the truth. God has defined who we are. He created them male and female. There are two genders and they are tied to biology. Who determines right from wrong? What, folks, in the biblical worldview? God does. Look at verse, chapter 2, verse 26. Don't eat of that tree. Well, folks, what right does God have to tell somebody what to do and what not to do? He's got every right in the world to do so because he created this universe and it belongs to him and he created us and when he tells us what to do and what not to do folks he is speaking authoritatively but he's also speaking lovingly and what I mean by this is the laws that he gives for us is not what Satan tries to tell us he's trying to prevent you from having a good time He's trying to keep you down. That, that's what the devil tells us. Okay. The truth is, God knows what's best for us. Years ago, there was a man who bought him a brand new T-Model Ford. 
and uh, he was driving along, and it quit running. He didn't know much about a car, so he got out. And I don't remember like this, but I know what I'm told. The, 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 the hood used to fold up. Any of y'all remember those? I was hoping nobody did. I said, boy, y'all are old if you do, but maybe not. Maybe, he's, maybe he remembers one from that was really, really old. I'm trying to help you out here. He's just, re- okay, no sense helping him out. Well, now there you go. That's where you, you saw him in a movie. You're just failing to distinguish that. Well, he folded it back and he got in the heat. He didn't have a clue. And another Model T drew, drove up. And a guy got out, but he wasn't going to help because he had a suit and tie and all that on. He said, can I help you? And he said, well, he said, it's, uh, my car quit working. And he said, he got in there and he said, I don't think you're going to be able to help me. And he said, well, maybe. And he fiddled around with it. The guy got in and they cranked it up and it started. And he said, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I just figured you with a coat and tie like that, you wasn't going to know anything about the car. He said, well, maybe I should have introduced myself. My name's Henry Ford. And he said, I built that car. And more than anybody else in the world, I know what makes it run. Friends, God looks at us and says, I created you. And I created this world. And I know better than anybody what makes you run optimally. And that is keeping within the laws that I have given to you. Okay, When God gives us his law, it is because he loves us. Now, what did we do? The scripture is very clear. Adam disobeyed. We as human beings are depraved. Something is wrong with us. That image needs to be restored. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 gives us the foundation of the worldview. And you know what's happening in the entire rest of the Bible? God is redeeming what was lost. That's amazing. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 lays the whole biblical foundation for what's going to happen in Genesis 3 all the way to the book of Revelation. Folks, God is restoring what was lost. God in saving us and redeeming us is not robbing Satan of something that actually belongs to him. God is in the process of redeeming what he created and what has belongs to him, and the rest of the Bible is actually going to explain that, and I'll let Josh explain that to you. Okay. Father, we're grateful for the time we've had together. Lord, thank you for the privilege of, of being reminded of truths that we know. Lord, I pray that each one of us would strive to have minds that are clearly, have clearly been taken captive by the Word of God, Lord, that we bow to you and your authority in all things, knowing that in truth, Father really does know best. Father, forgive us where we have allowed non-biblical, unbiblical thoughts to become part of our worldview. Lord, help us to have minds that are completely surrendered to you, and then, Lord, continue to bend our wills to yours to where the things we desire are the things that you desire. Lord, the things that we want to see accomplished, you want to see accomplished. Lord, thank you that you're a redeeming God. Lord, our hope is only in you through Christ, and we make our prayer in his name. Amen.